You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. I was actually thinking about it just during uh, worship, and I'm speaking on stewardship tonight. And one of the things that um, kind of sparked my whole journey into youth ministry was actually a conversation with you, Steve. And when Stephen Bex had left uh, Auckland and they were youth pastors here, they then went to Whangarei to be campus pastors there. And Steve sat me down with the leadership that was coming in, and he had a talk. He had the talk with me. He said, Shemaine, it's time. Because for the longest time, I was like, nope, I don't want to be a leader. Um, And I was 18, just finished high school, and he said, it's time. And with the new phasing in of the leadership, you need to be able to support them. And so that actually is the reason why I got stuck into youth ministry. I would never have done it otherwise. Uh, And so that was actually a little shout out to Steve, because that's what I was thinking. Um, but how good is it to be here? Yes, I've, I grew up at Botany. I started coming here when I was five, back in 97, when we moved to uh, New Zealand from Fiji. And <laughs> Steve, you can't say these things, okay? <laughs> you just said, yo, bula. <laughs> um, I've been here ever since I was five, and when I after 21 years of being at the Botany campus, we uh, moved and planted with Papakura, which is just absolutely uh, Frosty and Darcy are killing it out there. And for the longest time, when I think about this word stewardship, right, I think about something that is ours, something that's mine, something that I need to take care of, right? Something that you just need to be mindful of and steward well, right? Wrong, actually, because biblical stewardship acknowledges that you are not the owner, right? You are not the owner of the thing that you steward. It is given to you, but it is God's property. So biblical stewardship is all about when God hands something into your care. The message version actually refers to it as you take custody of something, which I'm like, how active is that visual representation? You take custody of a child and you become their parent, right? If God gives you something to steward, you steward that well, and that is an active process. Where are my parents in the house here? How many of you are parents? Raise your hands for me. You guys don't like to make a lot of noise, do you? How many of you are parents? Okay, okay, we're waking up a little bit. Now parents, you will know stewardship if your child has a device. Is your child the owner of the device? No, okay. (laughs) You are the owner of that device and you entrust it to your precious child to steward that thing well. So parents in the house, you understand biblical stewardship. How many men in the house have a car? Yeah? How many men in the house have a car? Come on, come on, we're a little bit awake in the house. Um, Have you ever let a friend drive your car? (laughs) No, no, he says, okay. Some of you will have let friends drive your cars and you know, boys, you know stewardship because your cars are like an extension of yourself, okay? And so if you ever hand your precious keys over to somebody, over to a friend, you better believe that that person returns your car in pristine condition, if not better, okay? Uh, How many ladies are in the room? 
Yes, girls, okay? Uh, if you have ever let your friend borrow maybe makeup or clothing, that's so stereotypical, maybe cars too, maybe tools, okay? Um, but if you have ever lent something to a friend of yours, you will know that they better return it just as clean if it's a dress that they wore out. Um, we're getting a round of applause. Yeah, yeah, we are. Okay, so you understand stewardship. Is Kate Griffiths in the room? She actually entrusted her $300 shoes to me last week and we swapped. She got my Crocs and they're pink and sparkly. I would say she's got the better part of the deal there. Um, how many students are in the room? Yeah, students, school students? The only time you don't scream, okay. Um, you guys will know that if you have lent maybe a pencil or a pen, a ruler, a calculator to a friend, most often it comes back broken, right? Comes back damaged and you're like, mm, I entrusted that to you and you were not a good steward. So students in the room, you will understand stewardship, but probably from the side of being so burnt by it. <laughs> And if you have ever studied the scriptures, right, you might have come across something uh, referred to as the principle of first mention. This is when uh, in scripture you have a concept, but then you look back at its original context. So when was the first time in scripture that this principle was brought up? And that actually gives our original context for what it's meant to mean every other time. So when we look at biblical stewardship, it takes us all the way back to the very first chapter of the entire Bible. So in Genesis 1, and you can uh, look to the screens and read along with me. It says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. I want to ask you to pay attention to this in the next portion of scripture. Does stewardship here, if this is the first time it's mentioned, does it sound active? or does it sound passive, okay? It carries on to say this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it i.e. rule over it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Active or passive? Active, right? So stewardship in its original context requires work. It requires action. It is not just something that God entrusts to us and we go, okay, God, I'm gonna put it in the cupboard and I'm gonna make sure that I'll give it back to you without any dust on it. I'll, I'll dust it off and then hand it back, just like the parable of the talents where he buries it and then is reprimanded for not actually doing anything positive, right? He doesn't multiply it or make it better in any way. So it is an active process. Later on in scripture, we see in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it is said this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What we see through this portion of scripture is that actually if we are faithful, it is not just, stewardship does not just look like one thing. More often than not, when you mention the word stewardship, people go, oh, this is a money talk. You're gonna tell me about tithes, and I will, just not fully. <laughs> um, but 
it has to do with money, but that's not all. There's many more, it, what it refers to it as various forms that stewardship comes in. So how do we ensure that we are actively being good stewards and not just passive ones, right? Active stewards require movement, require direction. It's a verb. It's something that we must work to achieve. And so what I've done is I've, uh, I've crafted an acronym for you to remember this by. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'm a real teacher. I'm a real teacher. Um, GPS, right? You use a GPS when you are going somewhere. You use a GPS when you need direction in life. You use a GPS to give you clarity over where you need to get to, right? So my three points for you tonight are G, P, and S, okay? Stewardship over your gifts, your possessions, and your story. If you have been in church for any longer than maybe one Sunday, I would really hope that you've picked up on this concept, right? That you were created on purpose and for a purpose, right? You were created on purpose by the God of the universe who formed you in your mother's womb and you were created for a purpose which was to make his name known throughout the earth. That might sound like a huge task and that's because it is, right? It's meant to be way bigger than one person can achieve. That's why God gave each and every one of us different gifts. Like I look around the room right now and I can spot so many people who have incredible gifts that I could never even dream of achieving, but God has gifted you with those things. For example, <clears throat> pardon me, I teach, right? And I know so many people that whenever I say, oh, I teach teenagers, they go through puberty, it's a whole bunch of fun. Um, Judah, is Judah in the room? Where is he? He's waving at me, he's like, don't embarrass me. Judah's class barked at me the other week, just wanted to say that. I have to deal with all sorts of torture from these teenagers. Um, we were having a debate about cats and dogs, I won't even go into it, but they got so rocked up that they literally were like, woo, 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 woo. I was like, okay. <laughs> I need, to, I need to step out, I need to step out for a second. They were so into it. Um, but I teach, and that might be your worst nightmare. Um, I know that someone in our Papakura campus, he is a skydiving instructor, okay? My worst nightmare. You couldn't pay me enough money to jump out of a plane, baby. And this guy has jumped out of more than 1,500 planes, okay? He's done sky jumps for, skydives for years, and they're tandem ones where you're like, you know, stuck to the person, and then you could not. My worst nightmare, um, but it was really epic having a conversation with him because he said to me, Shemaine, I use my gift of encouragement in my workplace. Uh, and he was like, I encourage people and I keep them calm and I assure them that they're not going to die. Uh, but he said, in my line of work, people question that more than ever because obviously you're jumping out of a plane and you're going, oh my word, if I die, what's happening to me? And he said, I've had more conversations about Jesus in my workplace than I could have in church. And I was like, what a beautiful example of using your gift, of stewarding your gift well. I would never in a million years jump out of a plane, but he uses that as his ministry, God bless him. The best analogy I've ever heard about stewardship in church uh, was actually in reference to Mr. Potato Head. Who knows, who knows Mr. Potato Head? Yeah, from Toy Story, okay. Um, each of his body parts can be plugged into whatever plug around the body, right? And he still functions, he doesn't die. Uh, but he just doesn't function to the best of his ability. 
There is a right way, however, for Mr. Potato Head to be plugged in and functioning, just as there is a right way for the church to position people to be plugged in and fully functioning, right? When each believer finds their fit. And that's such a good visual that I've carried with me ever since we uh, looked into that. Praise the Lord that my fit in the Mr. Potato Head body of the church is not in the worship team because people would be running out as quick as they are walking in. Um, but praise God for people on the worship team because they really are, you know, the ones that can impact people before the sermon. They're the sermon before the sermon, you know. And it's so easy to be tempted to walk into a church and look at the platform, look at the preacher or the worship leaders and go, that's the goal, right? That's the goal. But actually, you can only function, uh, you can only reach as many people are, as are in the room when you are on a platform or as many people as tune in online, right? But actually... What we do is we equip each of you to function in your gift to then go out uh, and be effective in your ministry. Ministry is not just within the four walls of this church. So friends, hear me when I say this. Your gift of encouragement is arguably more important than a gift of preaching. Your gift of faith can introduce more people to Jesus on the streets or in cafes than you could ever do on a pulpit. Your gift of administration could bring peace and cohesion to a workplace and be the excellence that people see in you because it's reflected from Jesus. Your gift of wisdom could speak biblical truth in your classrooms, in your workplaces, uh, to people who would never even dare step foot in a church. So many people are terrified of stepping foot in this place because they go, oh, I'm going to light on fire, I'm such a sinner. But actually, your wisdom could be used outside of the walls of this church just as effectively as on a pulpit. But what do each of these things have in common, right? It's that the fact that you need to steward those gifts well. And so that's what we're talking about tonight. Don't for a second believe that you need to be a certain age, that you need to work in a church. Don't believe the lie that you need a theology degree in order to function in your gift. Um, you actually just need to walk in step with God and seek wisdom along the way. Paul's letter to Timothy in Scripture uh, actually reminds us that even some of the most faith-filled Christians struggle to function in their gift, right? He writes this letter uh, to Timothy and he writes from jail because he's actually been persecuted for functioning in his gift all too well that the people slammed it, right? So he's writing to Timothy from jail and what he urges him to do in this letter is so insightful. And we can find it in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 to 7. It should pop up on the screen behind me. He says this, I remember your genuine faith, right? That is the gift of faith. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to what? Fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 
Now, you would assume if he wrote this letter to Timothy that maybe Timothy was a new Christian. Maybe Timothy hadn't grown up in a Christian um, home because he needed that reminder that actually you're not functioning in your gift. You need to really up it. You need to be doing the right thing. Come on. But what we see in this passage is that actually he reminds him, you've got the gift that your grandmother had and that your mother had. So I know you're from a solid Christian home. Why are you not functioning in your gift? Paul was like a mentor to Timothy. So he was calling him out in this passage saying, you are sleeping on your gift. You're sleeping on your gift. You're doing nothing with it because you're comfortable. And so I want to encourage you in the house tonight, don't sleep on your gift. Once you know how he has wired you, jump into the race, run, uh, jump into your lane and run the race. Every single person in this room has what we like to call a circle of influence, right? A sphere of influence. There is someone that every single one of you knows that I will never meet in my entire life. There is someone that I know that Bex and Steve will never meet. There is someone that Jackson at the back there knows that I will never even come across in my entire life. So you all have different people in your workplaces, in your schools, whatever it may be, online, families, that we will never meet. And so would you allow God to use your gift to actually be purposeful in reaching those people? This is why I so believe in the vision of our church. Know God find freedom, discover purpose, right? And a big part of that is discovering your gifts and make a difference. Make a difference. It's saying don't sleep on the gift that God has given you. That is is what good stewardship of your gift looks like. And the second aspect I want to touch on is to be good stewards of our possessions, When I was a teenager, um, I used to babysit. I was probably about 15 or 16. I don't know why they trusted me with children, Uh, but they were about five, five and seven-ish. And um, I used to babysit, and they had uh, these whiteboards up on the fridge that they were teaching these two boys to budget with. It was the sweetest thing. And so they had these whiteboards, and every week the parents would give their two boys $5 in pocket money. And the two boys would have to write up on the little whiteboards what they planned to spend their money on. And whenever they would come and give me the whiteboard marker and pocket their $5, they would go, Shemaine, can you put as number one on the list, 50 cents to tithing. (laughs) 50 cents to tithing. Um, Stubborn little teenage Shemaine, right? I hadn't quite learned about tithing at the time. Uh, And I was like, (laughs) I really enjoy spending my entire babysitting paycheck. Uh, So I I was trying to like kind of catch the boys out. I was like, you're young, you won't know what this means. I was like, what does tithing even mean? I'm a horrible babysitter. What does tithing even mean? Like, what does that mean to you? And this boy, genuinely, without word of a lie, he turns to me and he goes, well, it's because of Jesus that we have the $5 in the first place but he only asks for 50 cents back. So like, I get to spend the $4.50. And I was like, I'll make sure not to tell him that. Um, but he was like, genuinely, like, like, I think God's got the wrong side of the deal here because he only requires 50 cents. Like, I have $4.50. And that was such a refreshing explanation to me as a teenager who was so attached to my money. And the biblical concept of tithing is exactly that. It is showing God that he has our first priority, not money. 
Fast forward about a decade, um, and I remember in my mid-twenties, uh, the Frosts were running a small group, uh, like a leadership-focused small group at the time, and we were sitting in their lounge, and what we were doing for a season was actually just diving into the Word of God and discussing it. Like, we would read Scripture together and then discuss it. It, w- it seems so simple, but it was so powerful. And I remember one night, I will never forget this conversation, they prefaced the Scripture reading with a question, and they said, what is it about the character of God or just Christianity in general that you just don't understand? Like, what is it that just goes one in one ear and out the other? You're like, I would not know how to answer that question if someone asked me. And it took a while because obviously pride kicks in and everyone's like, me? <laughs> Struggle? <laughs> Never. But then immediately I'm like, healing? <laughs> healing? When does it happen? Why? How? Uh, but actually, you know, it, it created this really safe space for us to then start discussing. It gave us permission to question and to be like, actually, this doesn't really make sense. Can someone else give me wisdom? And it created this incredible discussion that actually lasted for ages. And one thing that shocked me that came up in this message. We were a room full of mature Christians, right? We were in church for probably decades, uh, and we were all in our 20s and 30s. We were all in the workplace. A bunch of them were married. A bunch of us were in leadership positions, those sorts of things. And so we were having this healthy discussion, and so many people in the room, their concept that they just couldn't bring themselves to understand was tithing, which was really interesting to me. And I remember going, wow, this just highlights that we actually need to talk about this stuff. We need to be debating. We need to be going back to Scripture. We need to be learning what it is that the grip of money does to us. Um, And we unpacked this concept a little bit further, and we got to realize that it wasn't actually the concept of tithing itself that frustrated or confused people. It was the concept of trusting God trusting God. It was the bigger picture trust, right? And so in uh, what we managed to unpack was that the more that you work uh, and the, the more that you earn, the more you are tempted to think, oh, but I deserve this money. Because you look at a paycheck and you go, oh, I could be buying a really nice pair of shoes with that every week. Or I could be doing whatever it is. I could be saving. I could be paying the bills better. Those sorts of things. Um, but actually, it was that trust thing. And the more... Uh, the money trap kind of gets you because it makes you shift your focus to what you are losing when you tithe rather than what you are gaining in the process of being obedient to God. And that's what I want to focus on. I believe that in order to keep ourselves from falling into that trap, uh, we need to learn how to steward our positions well. Positions. Uh, This is all about understanding two quick things, a why and a how why God asks us to tithe, and how necessary is it? How necessary is it? Firstly, why does he ask us to tithe? Especially if God doesn't need our money, he doesn't use money. Um, And in the book of Leviticus, it outlines how tithing was a non-negotiable aspect of the law, right? It was God's system to sustain the growth of his church. Uh, The English word tithe is derived from the Hebrew word asherat, which simply means one-tenth. It was actually considered a sin not to tithe because they understood stewardship to a T. They understood that everything I have is actually God's, and so if he asks for 10% of it back and I don't give it, then I'm robbing God, right? And so that was um, how they, that's a pretty sobering perspective. That's how they viewed it. 
Um, and the reason that God sent up, uh, set up the tithing principle uh, makes so much sense in context. He needed people to be in charge of conducting temple worship, running the church, essentially, and taking care of the people. He appointed the Levite tribe as a holy tribe of priests, and they dedicated their entire lives to ministry. And because they did this, God's promise to them was, I will take care of you. So he actually instated the tithing principle. The people tithed directly to the Levites to sustain the growth of the church. It was a foolproof plan. But alas, humans are fools, and so uh, eventually it started to crumble because the things that they were meant to bring as perfect and spotless offerings uh, were actually, they ended up being um, diseased animals that they were offering or stolen goods that they were offering, or instead of their first fruits, they were bringing withered crops, and that made God mad. Obviously, it was a disgrace, and so he needed to send his son Jesus to then fulfill the law uh, once and for all, so that his people could still be reconciled to him. This bridges over to that second part of the question, which is how necessary now is it to tithe, right? Uh, I would answer that question simply with this. It is no longer necessary to your salvation. Tithing doesn't mean you get into heaven, right? It is no longer necessary to your salvation, but it is the key to seeing God move in your life. And how do I know this? Uh, it's because, uh, and through the prophet Malachi in the very last book of the Old Testament, which is going to show up in a second, um, God makes a promise to the people that is the only time in Scripture where he says, test me. Just have a quick read. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, he says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no, uh, that there will be room, not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed, so you will be a delightful land. This is radical. Need I remind you that it is a sin to test God, right? Not even Jesus himself, when he's in uh, the wilderness being tempted by the devil, he doesn't even dare to test God because the devil tests him uh, and says, you know, but didn't Jesus say that you could? And Jesus himself says, do not test God, right? But what is God doing in this scripture? He is giving us permission to test him. It is the first and only time in Scripture that God gives us permission to test Him. And what is the premise? When we tithe, when we bring the whole tithe, the right tithe, the way He asks us to do it, when we bring that into the house of God, He says, test me in this and see that I will bless you back. This is radical. I could tell you a ton of stories of people who have done this uh, that I know, and they have tested God. They've taken that very literally. They've kept a book. They've logged numbers down to the cent, and they've said, God, I've tithed this much, and I'm going to see. I'm waiting to see what you're going to do. Um, I have friends in particular, um, LJ and Andy, some of you may know them. They started a furniture business called uh, John 316, and they see this as their form of ministry. It's incredible, and they commit to... Uh, excellence in terms of providing skills in the workplace. 
they are one of these examples, right? The scripture in Malachi, they've used as the basis for their finances, for everything they do with their business. And they've actually, time and time again, I've lost count of how many times they've come back to me and gone, you would not believe it. We got a machine, this is just last week, they got the final machine that they need for their storehouse. Uh, the final machine was meant to be 30K plus GST. They got it this week for 7K, including GST. And they're just like, God is blowing our minds at every single corner because we test him in this, because we make sure that everything we have, we give back to him. And when we choose to steward our possessions well through the, uh, through the act of time, uh, tithing, this unlocks for us an aspect of God's character that is interactive. He invites us to challenge him so that he can prove himself to us even more. Lastly, and arguably my favorite, we need to be good stewards of our story. Now, it might sound a little bit odd to be like, how do I steward my story? But hear me out. Uh, when I was asked to preach tonight, I was actually planning on doing a message around money uh, that I had done at Papakura a couple weeks ago. And I felt like God was like, no, that's not what I want you to focus on tonight. What I want you to actually speak on is the word story. And so I was like, okay, God, what does that even mean? So we started this whole little journey. Um, and when I was praying, I just felt like actually for this 5 p.m. service, not just the Botany Campus, but actually for everyone in the room, the revelation that you need that I've been praying over that I believe that God has for you is that your story matters. Your story can be used by God and it will be used by God if you surrender that to him. We've all been in situations where we've needed advice from someone, we've needed wisdom from someone, and then they try, like even out of the best of intentions, they try to give us advice, and we're like, you don't actually know what you're talking about. Like you actually, that, that's not very helpful. <laughs> um, but actually, what we needed in those moments was someone who had walked through a similar circumstance that can then give us wisdom firsthand on how to handle it. And, but how quickly on the opposite side of the coin do we disqualify ourselves from being a good Christian or from being effective in ministry um, because of our story, because it feels too messy, it feels too far gone, it feels too sinful. You're like, I don't want people knowing my baggage. Um, how often do we disqualify ourselves because of that guilt and shame, right? But those are exactly the stories that God's wanting to pull out of you and saying, this is how you steward your story. This is how you steward your gift, and this is what will grow your ministry. Well, if that is you tonight here, friend, I want to be your Paul. I want to be your reminder to fan into flames the gift of God, the gift that God gave you, because part of stewarding your story is recognizing this. And if you remember nothing from what was said tonight, I want you to remember this. Nothing in God's economy is wasted. Absolutely nothing in God's economy is wasted. If you give, you have not wasted your money. If you spend time, you have not wasted your time. If you have messed up and made mistakes that you regret, you have not messed up your God opportunity. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, uh, the final book of the Bible, you will see in chapter 12, verses 10 to 11, uh, that John explains that the defeat of the enemy is brought about by these two things. He says they have overcome by the blood of the lamb, i.e. Jesus dying on the cross, and by the word of your, their testimony. 
and they did not love their lives to the death. That last part here as we come to a close uh, actually just means that we didn't value our lives more than we valued the kingdom of God. I think the focus of this generation is often that emotions are on the throne rather than God being on the throne. And because we feel some kind of way, we go, oh, well, that's true then. It's my truth. It might not be yours. It's my truth, right? And emotions take the place of God. But actually, what we need to be reminded of is that as we inch closer and closer to Jesus and start to shape and mold our lives to look more like him, we need to be dying to self in that process too. Whatever emotions I feel, whatever things I want, actually those need to fall aside when the kingdom of God takes precedence in my life. Um, And Keys, you can come and join me now. And for a quick plot twist, um, the keyboard player isn't the only one who's about to join me on stage. As we close, many of you uh, will know Melissa Rigby. Mel's just heading up on stage now, and it is my absolute um, honor to invite her up. She's gonna be sharing a snippet of her story um, because she stewards this story so well. God placed Mel on my heart when I was writing this message um, and she felt like it was time uh, and she had peace about it when I had approached her to ask. As she stands here really quickly, I want to introduce her. A bit about Melissa, she serves week in and week out so faithfully, both on Friday nights and on Sundays, uh, even though she is a big shot in the tennis officiating, officiating world. I had written uh, tennis coaching, okay? But she was like, excuse me, it's officiating. Uh, She is a big shot in the tennis officiating world. She has actually um, just gone from strength to strength and it's incredible, her story. She has been an absolute source of wise counsel for me personally uh, when I've been learning how to have conversations about this stuff. And she is one of the most biblically sound researchers of scripture that I know. So Mel, it is my absolute honor to hand the microphone over to you as you share a very vulnerable story. Can we give her a massive round of applause? Um, So for a long time I've wrestled with God over my gender identity and my sexuality and the discomfort and unease I feel about it. Something that's being promoted and celebrated in the world today. I was stuck in this tension between what the Word of God has to say and what science, medicine, and the world around me has to say. It got to a point where I just wanted to end it all. I felt broken, worthless, and unworthy of love. But God showed up in that place and let me know how much I was loved and how worthy I was to Him. Despite the presence of these feelings, thoughts, and desires, When I gave it over to God, He gave me an unexplainable peace despite the circumstances. He made me realize that the temporary struggle here on earth is worth it for the promise of eternity through Him. So I choose daily 
to die to what feels so natural and right to me and to say no matter how I feel, I'm going to make God the first priority. Putting my thoughts and feelings aside to follow him no matter what the world around me has to say about it. Because I know God's right there with me, fighting for me every step of the way. I've learned to trust God despite the struggle, the brokenness, and the mess of my life. Relying on his strength and not my own. And I have this desire for God to use me and my mess to help others through their mess. How beautiful. How beautiful was that? Could you actually just take a moment? I didn't plan to do this, but that is so beautiful. And Melissa, could we actually just pray for you? And church, would you just reach out your hands and join me in prayer really quickly? Mel, we, um, we lift you up right now. And Father God, we thank you so much for her testimony. We thank you, God, that she is a steward of her story. We thank you, God, that she is so incredibly biblically sound in her understanding. I thank you, God, that she has chosen not to do what the world has told her to do, not to do what her flesh has told her to do, but actually to die to self in the process of molding and shaping her life to look like you. And we just honor her for sharing that story, God. We thank you that you have given her an incredible dream, an incredible vision. You've, you've opened doors that she could never open, uh, and she's already doing incredible things that she would have never seen in a million years, uh, or never thought that she would see in a million years, God. But we thank you that you've honored her. We thank you that you have greater things ahead of her. We thank you, Lord, for her vulnerability. And we pray, Father, that tonight is actually just the first step on an incredible journey that takes her from strength to strength. Lord, would you allow her to be able to speak into atmospheres uh, where where there are such polarized opinions ruled by the throne of emotion. And God, would you be with Mel? Would you strengthen her? Would you honor her? Would you bless her as she continues to be faithful and faithfully steward the story that you have placed on her heart? In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we give Mel another round of applause? I thought that was so beautiful. Um, now, just to wrap up, how beautiful is it that when we are stewards of our story, we recognize that nothing in his economy is wasted. Your pain, your hurt, your mess-ups, your feelings, whatever it is, your story is never wasted. So let's choose to be a church who don't judge or shy away from the brokenness, but who embrace and value people's stories when God gets in the mix. You can be that person, every single one of you, you can be that person that when someone walks through that door struggling, they needed someone who actually understands what they've gone through and you can share your story and bring that freedom to their brokenness. So as I draw to a close, I wanna remind you of the GPS directions in order to get closer to Jesus. And that is to be good stewards of your gift, 
to be a good steward of your possessions and to be a good steward of your story. Out of respect for the people around you, could you just bow your heads and close your eyes as there's one quick group that I would love to be able to pray over and speak directly to. And it is those in the room who have actually disqualified yourself before you've even allowed God to qualify you. You've chosen for yourself that my story is too much, my story is too messy, my story is too difficult to share, and God can never use me. And if that is you, I want you to know that this prayer is for you and you are in the room, not by mistake, but because God has a plan and a purpose for you. God, I lift up every person in this place that has disqualified themselves, that has taken their story, and God, God, no, you can't do anything with that. It's something that I just wanna lock away in the back rooms of my house, but God, would you just actually help every single person in this place, Lord, to recognize that their story will bring freedom, not just to themselves, but to every other person that they choose to share it with who is struggling with that same thing. I thank you, Father, for every story in this place, for every gift in this place, and for everyone who chooses to steward their possessions in this place, God. Would you help them to closer and closer to you as they look more and more like you, Jesus. We thank you that you've given us a template. We thank you that you have given us the answer, and we just pray, God, would you strengthen us as we step out in faith to share our gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.